Amen. Uh, didn't they sound wonderful? Amen. Uh, sometimes when we're in here practicing, we have two tracks. We have one that helps them learn it with the people singing, and then we have some don't. Sometimes when I've taken them out and they're singing, I go back and look because they sound, I think, as good or a lot of times better than the demo version. Ladies, thank you all so much for your hard practice and time and effort in being able to lead us in worship. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we set some house rules last week that if you wanted to say amen or hallelujah, you could toot your horn. Well, we don't have a horn in here, so if you want to say amen, say amen. Let me hear it. Amen or praise the Lord. Whatever Holy Spirit puts on your heart, you feel free. We're here to worship and to just enjoy a great time as we worship the Lord back as a family together inside. I'm just so excited to see each of y'all. Uh, in the middle of this, we began our study on the book of Acts. So if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles with me and open them to Acts chapter 1, uh, we'll be finishing up chapter 1 next week. But we have a few uh, important things that we want to look at in Acts as we begin. And you remember that I said how amazing it was that the Lord had placed it on my heart when planning out this to start the book of Acts, not knowing that this COVID-19 would come up and we would not be able for weeks to meet in the church. And some people said, what are we going to do? The church isn't meeting. Well, the church is the people of God. That's one of the churches. Now, the church is the building but I said, how amazing to be starting the study of the book of Acts, which talks about what the church is. And we began in there as we come in and talked all of that of the introduction. And today we're getting to what I've entitled as we're getting ready for Pentecost Sunday in a couple of weeks, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Today I want us to spend some time talking about the foundations of the church. You know, anytime you want to build a building or you want to build a house, you draw out plans and you take those plans as your foundation and then under that you build a foundation. I love the children's songs about uh, the foundation and one built his house on the sand and the, the waves come up and it crashed and one built his house on the rock and it, it stood the, the firm foundation. And that's what we're looking at here of the foundation of the church is what needs to be laid? What is the setting for the church? We can look at it too that there are disciplines that we put into life and those disciplines help us get to where we're wanting to go. When we talk about reading the Bible, that is a discipline of the Christian life. Reading the Bible itself isn't going to necessarily do anything miraculous. Now, there are special things that come from reading God's Word, but setting a foundation or a discipline of reading is setting the stage for Holy Spirit to be able to speak to you. As we do other things as fasting and worship and these different things, in of themselves, they're a foundation to build. So I want us to look at these foundations as we make our way through. But remember I said if we're building a house and you hire a contractor, you're going to expect him to be obedient to the words and the plans that he's been given when he does that. And then you want him to be on the same page, unified with you. You don't want to give him plans and talk about the colors of a house and then come in and expect gray walls and you have 
bright pink walls all through your house. Your house isn't going to be what you want it to be, and you also want him to work alongside that, and you want him to be devoted to you. How many of you in here have ever built a house or had someone build a house for you? I know several of you have. Don't you like it when your builder is set up to work with you and you only? Sometimes they have those other projects going on, and it seems to take a lot longer. They're supposed to be here, or I'm supposed to do this today, and it's something else. Well, I want us to look today at how all of that applies to our life as Christians, but more than that, the life of what the church is. If you would please stand out of the honor of reading of God's Word, going to be coming from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, these all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Father God, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to hear from Holy Spirit. Lord, as you speak through Holy Spirit to us, Father, would you help us to hear your message? And Lord, would you just allow Holy Spirit to have total access to me? and to fill me for speaking your message today. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This Acts chapter 12, actually all the way through the end, is in two parts. The 12 through 14 that we're going to look at today is the foundations of the church. And then next week, we're going to be looking at selecting the 12th disciple. If you notice there when I read, there was one missing, and we're going to talk about him in just a moment. But what I want us to begin with when we look at the foundations of the church, the first thing is I want us to see the obedience of the disciples the obedience of the disciples. Look there as Luke uh, recorded in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. I like that in there. You see that word Olivet. That's our church, Mount Olivet, our name right there in the Bible. Isn't that a great thing to see? But the obedience of the disciples sets the total foundation for the church. Can you imagine anything being built, anything succeeding that wasn't obedient to the way it was set up to be? You know, we could be obedient, we could join a gym membership, and if we wasn't obedient in going, then it's not going to do us any good. If we wasn't obedient to the rules in there, they're going to kick us out. So the first thing we see is the obedience of them. Well, what are they being obedient to? Let's look over there at the first part of Acts 1 at verse 4. It says, Gathering them together, that's Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Jesus commanded them to return to Jerusalem. Uh, they had gone out to the Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives, and it says there that it was a, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, let me just clarify this from all of the reading I did. That doesn't mean that this event happened on the Sabbath day. The main thing Luke is using is trying to give us a distance. Well, what is a Sabbath day away? A Sabbath day's journey is what the Jews were allowed to travel on the Sabbath, and that was 2,000 cubits. I'm glad all y'all know exactly what that is, 2,000 cubits. It's about three-fourths of a mile. That's all on a Sabbath day that someone could walk or they would break the law. Now, they were obedient to that law, but what's important to understand is God set up the Sabbath not as something to hinder us. All of you have grown up and you've heard about the Sabbath and the, the day of rest. How many of you remember when nothing was opened on Sunday? I remember when, what was it, the, the blue law came into effect and it began to allow stores to open. The Sabbath was set up which was their Saturday, which was for us. God wanted a day that his people could rest. How many of you like a good rest? Amen. God wanted us because he knew how our bodies were created. He knew that we needed a rest. And some people just go and they go and they go. But when we look at this Sabbath day's journey, God's law was to rest on the Sabbath, but man came in and they began to add all the extra laws to it. And that's where this distance traveling come in. It become a hindrance more than it was a rest. You know, you can't go so far. Oh, did I take too many steps today? I don't believe I would be resting if I had to always wonder with how many steps I had taken or how far I had traveled. But here we're seeing the obedience of the disciples as Jesus told them, you need to go back to Jerusalem. Now, did Jesus just want to be mean and send them back to Jerusalem? Because in Jerusalem, there are probably some people that are maybe still looking for them. It's only been about uh, 40 days since Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, so there's still a, a bunch of uproar going on in the town. But Jesus knew where he was going to be sending the Holy Spirit. So Jesus wanted the men and these women to be in the right place at the right time. How many of you know being in the right place at the right time is usually the best way? Jesus knew in Jerusalem where I'm sending Holy Spirit, so he told them, go back. And that's what they did. They went to Jerusalem, and they waited there for Jesus, being obedient to him, I believe for the church to be able to be built, we're built on Jesus Christ, the church needs to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to what he tells and the way he sets things up. But it's not just the foundation of the church as we see the obedience of the disciples, but we also see the unity of the disciples now, there's a word that gets us a lot of times, the unity of the disciples. Let's look, as Luke wrote back there, Acts 1, verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, 
These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. One mind. Do you see uh, the New American Standard there puts it as one mind or in a, a unity? And when we look at that, it's talking about single-minded. Getting a group of people together and having them being single-minded, that's not always easy. But do you know being single-minded doesn't necessarily mean that there's not some maybe disagreements? You know, we come, I am so thankful here at Mount Holiday that we can come to business meetings and we can come and make decisions. And why it might not be exactly the way you want it or you want it or you want it, we come together as a church with one mind and we agree together to move forward because you know the foundation of the church, the unity of the church, our one mind, there's one thing and that's the proclamation of the gospel. It doesn't matter what else we do. It's not about coming here and trying to figure out what is the latest scheme that we need to do, what's the latest light situation and dancing light and what music and what program. Our goal is to share the gospel and to show God's love. And we come together one-minded with that focus at hand, and that's what moves us forward. They were united in their heart and their mind. Let's look at Psalm 133, and we get a good picture of this one-minded unity. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. How pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. A foundation of the church has got to be unity. If we come here as the church of Mount Olivet, and if we come as the local body, the local part of Jesus' church, and we're ununified, we're not going to do anything. Can you imagine being an outsider, for a lack of term, and you come into a church and there is ununity all throughout the church? You're going to begin to, well, why am I even here? There's got to be something better than this. But if you come in and you see the unity and how a group of people can come and work together, that advances it. But also in this unity of the disciples, we see there what I'm calling a roll call. I want you to listen to these names, beginning there in verse 13. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. If you were to take and count those names, you're going to come up with 11 disciples. You remember there used to be 12 But Judas Iscariot, after he had went and betrayed Jesus and turned him over, he went and hanged himself. So now we have 11. Next week we're going to look at picking that other one. But what a person, this other Judas. I can't imagine the one that's left here, how he must have felt carrying the name Judas. Because, you know, when we go around, I don't go around saying Annette Burns. I just say Annette. 
So can you imagine him being called Judas and maybe what come along? But I believe the Lord gave him the ability. But with these people, we see that same roll call in a little bit different order Luke records over in his gospel. But we also see there that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And an interesting fact for you, this is the last time in the New Testament that you're going to see the name Mary, mother of Jesus, mentioned. And we also see Jesus' brothers. And that's very important, I believe, here because they've gone back to this upper room and they've begun to have this prayer service, as we might call it. And Jesus' brothers are there. And up until Jesus' resurrection, his brothers didn't believe that he was the Son of God. But how the resurrection changed that. And he even made an appearance to, to one of his brothers. And a couple of his brothers actually became leaders of churches later on in the, the church history as it, it moves through. But we see there. But how it is interesting that Luke records here that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women were there. That's very important because normally when listing people in Bible time, women were not listed. Women were not part of the group. But here we begin to see the unity of what's happening with the church. Maybe we could see it best over in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. Let me read this one to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church beginning to be formed even in the way that Luke is recording this and including the women and bringing the unity together because when we become the body of Christ, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about an I, it's about the whole body of Christ working unified together. And we see that unity also that when we see the names listed there, we see uh, James and John. They were there together, unified in this prayer time. Do you remember back, let me just read to you from Mark's gospel, an account that happened with these two gentlemen along with the rest of them. Mark 10, verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, come up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask of you. I mean, what a thing to go up to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to do what I'm fixing to ask you to do, and you're going to do it for me. But what did they want? And they said to him, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. They're wanting the prominent seat with Jesus. They want to sit on the right and the left. Do you think these two guys maybe think they're a little bit bigger and a little bit better than the rest of everybody else? But here we see them in our story today. As the church is beginning, Jesus is resurrected. We see these two men unified. They've come together for the purpose of spending time with God. And now we see there that we have that first foundation of the apostles or with those disciples of obedience. Then secondly, we saw that they were unified or the unity of the disciples. And now I want us to look at the devotion of the disciples. Look back there at Acts chapter 1, 
verse 14. Then all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The disciples were devoted, first of all, to God. Prayer, when you look that up and understand that prayer, prayer is talking to a deity. Prayer here, they're coming, and they were continually lifting up prayers to God. Now, this continually doesn't mean they were doing it day and night, nonstop, nothing else, but their primary focus was devotion to God by speaking to Him in prayer. They were praying. It doesn't say specifically what they were praying. There's a little bit of controversy out there. Some say they were praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. Some were saying, no, they wasn't praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was already coming. But what I love about Scripture, if it doesn't tell us specifically, what they were praying is irrelevant to us today. What's important is we saw that they were devoted and continually their main focus of these days was prayer to God. But we also see there that they were devoted to corporate prayer. It says, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They're all in one room. This upper room would have been a, on top of a building. It probably was a flat area large enough to house a bunch of people because we're going to see later that there were many there. It was a second story or a third story. A lot of times had its own access, but they were there together for corporate prayer. Some people say, why do I need to go to church? I can be out on the lake and I can commune with God. Yes, you can. I can be out on the golf course and I can commune with God. Yes, you can. But are you devoted to corporate prayer? The Bible also tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling together. There is something about prayer in your private closet, just you and God, that is powerful. But when you can come together unified and devoted to corporate prayer and a group of people praying together for the same thing, that's powerful. And they were devoted to each other. The devotion of the disciples as they came and the others praying together, they were also, I believe, devoted to themselves because they're lifting up. They knew what was important. To them, as the church was starting, prayer was important. And as we're going to see all through the book of Acts, we're going to see these three things actually happening. We're going to see the devotion. We're going to see the unity and we're going to see how they were all together. Those foundations are very important to make a church work, to make God's church work. There has to be devotion, there has to be unity, and there has to be obedience. God asks that we spend time reading his word. God asks that we spend time being in prayer. God asks that we be in unity. You know, our God is not a, a God of disorder, but a God of order. And when we can be unified, we have that. So when we're looking at building the church for what the church of God is, we need these foundations. And I believe if any one of these parts of the foundation is missing, it's not going to stand the time. Especially when we go through times like this, 
where we're separated, we can't get out, we can't come to the church building, we can't see each other, how much stronger we need to come and stay the foundation of being obedient, of being unified together and being devoted with one another. As we come back, I'm so looking forward to the times that we're going to get to spend in prayer and the times that we're going to get to spend back together. But you know, the church is made up of a whole bunch of believers. But within that church are individuals like you and you and me. We need these same foundations in our life. If we want to, you know, I, I went a long time debating how to actually title this. I, I thought about the foundations of a miracle. How many of you would love to see a miracle in your life? Amen. These are foundations for a miracle to take place. These were the foundations setting up the moment of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit come down. But I felt that the foundation of the church fit better because as many of us want a miracle, most of us would probably say if we were truthful that we didn't think a miracle would ever happen in our life. But the foundation of the church and in our life will set up for a miracle to happen as we get overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking forward to those couple of weeks when we come together and we have this sermon on the day of Pentecost and the exciting time of the Holy Spirit coming down as tongues of fire and resting on them and what happened as the church was empowered with the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to miss that in a couple of weeks. But today we've got to understand, we have to lay the groundwork and understand the foundation for this to happen. And we see it through the disciples, the obedience of the disciples, the unity of the disciples, and the devotion of the disciples. If we take any of that out, it falls. You know, I could take a stool up here. We have the foundation, and then there's those three legs that go off. If I remove one leg, many of you are not going to want to sit on that stool. If you do, it's not going to be very sturdy. And the more you remove, the weaker it comes. So just have that in your mind. Let Holy Spirit speak to you through the next couple of weeks as we're building up and seeing that. Remember, there is an obedience that's required out of our lives. There's a unity and a devotion. But do you know the amazing thing? When I began, we talked about that one building a house, and I talked about us having disciplines in our life. These things in and of their self is only setting the stage. And no matter how hard we try on these things, without Jesus, it's impossible. Without Jesus, there's no purpose in it because we're doing it to build his church. That's what I want you to understand, the grace of God that comes through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us. That's the foundation, is Jesus. And these are things that move us in that direction, get us focused. Amen? Just a moment, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask if some of our ladies, if you would gather around Miss Barbara as I do our closing prayer. I want to pray over her uh, this morning um, for strength and for uh, help and guidance during this time uh, as we do that. You know, here we come to these foundations I just mentioned to you. 
we're in obedient, we're lifting up to the Lord. And we're coming together in unity and devotion to do what the church does, and that's proclaim the gospel. And this is one way that we get to do that. If you would bow your heads.